0: And I work here with Pastor Ben Kramer at Cathedral of the Rockies. Today is the second part in our series in the Sermon on the Mount, of which today we are focusing on the beatitude of blessed are those who mourn. I find this to be a rather powerful idea because, in my own experience, I've seen that we are sometimes expected to hide our grief or our sorrow. Phrases like, suck it up, or you gotta push through the pain come to mind. And yes, sometimes we have to work through pain, grief, and sorrow, Um, but not to the extreme that we fail to even allow ourselves to grieve or mourn. Pain is just a part of the human experience, and I've found that always trying to just avoid pain can actually be even more detrimental to our overall health. And yeah, with that, uh, Pastor Ben will expand more on this idea of blessed are those who mourn, and I hope you enjoy it.
1: I'll invite you to find your seats as we prepare to think about what Christ meant by blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. I think I told you, I'm not sure, I've been telling everyone, you know how annoying dads can be with their kids, talking about their kids all the time, and I've found that I'm one of those annoying dads. But... Foster, I told you Foster took his first steps, right? Okay. Now, I know, now nothing is the same. <laughs> Everything is knocked over. Um, but he keeps keep taking longer and longer strides, right? So Rebecca is getting ready in the bathroom, which is down the, the hall, and then I'm in the kitchen, and I heard these little feet coming from the hallway. And of course, he comes down and starts to crawl, but this time he didn't. He walked all the way into the kitchen and leaned over and looked at me. I was like, just my heart explode. It's exploding now, telling you. I just seeing his little eyes run up and give me a hug. I could do that all day long. Just wonderful. Even though he kept me up all night last night screaming. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed. Are those. No, it's just it's it's just such a wonderful experience. But my, Rebecca and I were talking the other day about, about heartbreak. And we just got on, on the topic about how when, when you were young and, and you still remember your first heartbreak, right? The first time that you had a crush and the crush didn't return that, <laughs> those feelings, right? And it really, like, the heartbreak of a especially a preteen or teenager, like, you feel like you're going to die, Right? If you feel like you're never going to recover, it's going to be that way for the rest of your life, right? But then somehow, somehow, months, year later, you have been able to move on. But those first moments of pain are unforgettable. It's like that song, The First Cut is the Deepest, right? Because we really do feel that pain of heartbreak really deeply when we experience that For the first time, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. How can Jesus call an experience like mourning blessed? How can we look at those who are in the midst of such deep sorrow and say, blessed are you? Sometimes when we read this, we can feel like Jesus is kind of being passive here Let me give you some of the worst things that have been said to me as a pastor at funerals. And if anyone says this to you, you have my permission to say, that's not helpful, okay? (laughs) (laughs) God just needed another angel in heaven at a a child's funeral. Terrible. Or they're in a better place. You're saying that to someone who is in hell right now because that person is gone, right? Another terrible one, this was at my uncle's funeral, went up to my mother and said, your son did a great job dealing with your brother's lack of salvation. It's a good thing my mom told me that months later, otherwise there would have been table flipping experience there. That's what Jesus did, right? Flip tables when he got it. No, yeah. But I would have gotten really, that not just a theological error, but that's to my mom, right? It feels like when Jesus is saying this, there's a little bit of twinge there where people are mourning and just being like, blessed are you. Go, go be at peace. Blessed are you. The suffering is holy, Right? We can almost say passively that your suffering is what's making you holy, but I'm not going to really do anything about that. Those phrases that are so unhelpful in times of mourning are more for the person who says them <laughs> rather than the person they're saying it to, right? Why? Because grief makes us uncomfortable. And so sometimes we'll come along and say, your grief is making me really uncomfortable, so I'm going to say something to make me comfortable rather than try to comfort you and just listen to your pain. Our Jewish brothers and sisters have a wonderful practice called Shiva, and they sit for seven days at least with the person who's mourning and just listen. That's what we see in Job, right? His friends who come along who are sometimes helpful, sometimes not helpful. (laughs) They sit next to Job to just listen to his pain. And that's something I think that we in the Christian community could learn to do better, to not pacify or push through or try to get over grief, but to listen to those who mourn. I think when Jesus is saying this beatitude, blessed are those who mourn, he's invoking other parts of scripture like Psalm 34, which says, God is close to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Or Psalm 126, five through six that says, those who sow with tears will reap songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow will return with songs of joy. I love how that psalm says the same thing twice, right? Just as an encouragement to know you are in the midst of it right now, but songs of joy is coming. I think Jesus is essentially saying with this beatitude, those places where you expect God to be the least is actually where God is the most. The places like Paul, mourning, meekness, and peacemaking, where the world sees only a lack of value and weakness, God is actually closest to those places, advocating and strengthening those who are experiencing those circumstances in order to set them free, comfort them, and bring them joy. God is in those places. Blessed are those who mourn because God is there with them, closest to them, working to bring them comfort. I think this particular beatitude can strike us in that negative, passive way because we really are bad at lamenting and grieving well, not just as the church, but as the culture too. I would even go so far as to argue that we Western Protestant Christians are particularly bad at grieving and lamenting well. As one who's been in pastoral ministry for over a decade, I can look at the attendance of Good Friday and compare it to the attendance of Easter. There's a difference there, right? (laughs) For for a reason, right? There's There's a big difference there. We often like to rush through the grieving part, the bad parts to get to the resurrection. We want to hear the good news. In fact, the crosses in our sanctuary, as Protestants, they're empty, right? Jesus isn't there anymore. He's not in that tomb. Not like our Orthodox or Catholic friends, if that cross is full, be reminded, right? This is what Jesus has done, the crucified Messiah, We like to fast forward through the grieving over death to get to the joy of resurrection. And this is to forget, of course, that Jesus came to defeat death, not deny the reality of death. We cannot defeat what we deny, my friends. So if we're mourning something, we can't defeat it by denying it. If we are grieving something, we can't defeat it by denying it. We have to look at Christ's example and say, we have to face it head on in order to come out the other side for the joy of resurrection. Any Downton Abbey fans in the room? Downton Abbey, Downton Abbey, good. I watched the first three seasons and then once that guy, the main character, that was it for me. I didn't watch on. People tell me I should, but I'm still heartbroken over the car accident. If you haven't seen it, I'm not giving anything away. It's just a bad car accident. But Downton Abbey shows something. (laughs) Was that a spoiler? I didn't even write that in here. I'm sorry. If you haven't seen it already, come on, it's been on the air for a while. You've had your chance. (laughs) Moving on. Downton Abbey is a great historical fiction and it happens near uh, the sinking of the Titanic. During that time period, The culture in both the United States and in Europe, they had this really strong way of practicing grief. And they actually show it in Downton Abbey as well. Um, They had this intentional practice of public grief when a family suffered a loss. They would not only have several days or a week-long wake where the deceased would be in the room with them, with everyone, as they wept, as they shared stories and supported one another in that pain. But after the the burial, it was custom for the whole family to wear black at every major family gathering so that everyone would know for that season, those months or that year, that that family was still grieving the loss of that family member. And then they would reduce all of that to maybe a black armband for as long as they were in grief so that everyone who saw that, they would know that person is still grieving that loss in their life. And as a pastor who who journeys through grief and loss of loved ones with families, it always strikes me at how little time we give for public grief in our culture. There may be a short viewing of the deceased, if at all, Then there is one day devoted to a a public funeral and burial service. But more often than not, it might just be a celebration of life, focusing more on the joy and giving very little focus to collective grief together. And after those one or two days of public grief, it's like nothing ever happened. There's no outfit changes, (laughs) There's no outward display of grief. It's those who have experienced loss are almost expected to grieve privately and quietly, to let the rest of the world go on back to normal. If they do speak about it, it is in whispered tones, maybe to their closest friends or family, or maybe just to their journal by themselves. Especially for those who live on their own, grief and can be such an isolating and lonely place to be. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And while mourning is so often spoken about in the context of death, death isn't the only thing we mourn, amen? Death isn't the only thing that we mourn in our lives, We mourn broken relationships. We mourn job loss. We mourn immobility and health loss. We mourn dreams being broken. We mourn over the life we used to have, and we mourn over a future that may never be. We mourn over change. So much of the grief expressed to me as a pastor is grief that many feel they would be ridiculed or mocked over if they expressed it publicly. Let me just give you a few examples of the grief that I hear. It's Christians who are deconstructing their faith, mourning the loss of their church community that they were pushed out of, and the certainty that they once had in a more rigid faith. It's Christians mourning the loss of integrity within so much of public Christianity, within politics and beyond. It's former Christians and former religious people mourning the loss of their religion. It's conservative friends mourning over the picture of the United States they thought they knew. It's my progressive friends mourning over the future of the United States they think may never come. It's people who mourn over particular votes they cast in previous elections. It's women mourning over the medical freedom they feel they had no longer have. It's women mourning over the pregnancy that they wanted but had to abort but feel like they can't even talk about it. It's women mourning over the pregnancy that they may never have. It's LGBT Christians mourning the loss of some relationships they had when they were closeted. It's the parents of LGBT kids who recently came out to them who are now mourning the loss of the future they thought they had with their children as they work so hard to accept the new future that they just found out about. It's teachers who mourn over the loss of the sense of safety and stability they once had in their classrooms. It's veterans mourning over the war that they were sent to fight but being made to feel like they have to celebrate it every time someone comes up and thanks them for their service. It's pastors who mourn over being incredibly misunderstood. It's entire congregations wondering what it means to be the church post-2020 in a world that is rapidly changing around them. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. In our polarized culture, so many who are genuinely mourning, especially when it's connected to something that's deemed controversial, feel they must keep it quiet and be isolated from others. Because to express it publicly in any way would invite dismissal or risk mockery and shame and even hostility rather than comfort, which is what they're looking for. My friends, I feel like this is so much at the heart of so many of the cultural upheavals that we witness. One of the things that continues to convict me is when I look at those who commit mass shootings as those who have so much grief over something yet were unwilling or unable to express it in a healthy way. With many of the perpetrators being straight white men like myself, looking at what led them to these horrific actions, you can almost always see how they had feelings of isolation, purposelessness, and displacement that were then radicalized into hate against others in online chat rooms. They were looking for comfort, and it was radicalized into hate. I can't help but look at January 6th as the culmination of stoking political grievances, grievances (laughs) through conspiracy theories, lies, and fear-mongering, much of which was directed to the Christian community. Imagine if instead, just imagine, if political leaders and faith leaders just named the reality that our country was going through, that it was changing rapidly, And it's not only growing more diverse than it's ever been in its history, but its needs are changing too. But there are also minority groups in our country who have been long silenced and oppressed who need to have an equal voice in this change. And imagine if they just named that these rapid changes were being just exacerbated by COVID. (laughs) And COVID wasn't easy for anyone. Rather than taking that as a point to pit each other against each other, what if they just named those places of mourning and said, I want to hear what you are mourning right now and bring you comfort? Imagine if they just named how the pandemic amplified and accelerated the need for these changes and how the impact to our economy, relationships, and health and loss from COVID would not be easy for anyone. Maybe then we would be better equipped as a culture to not fight against the reality of these changes, but to see that no matter how hard these changes may be, We will find comfort in knowing that we are stronger and more unified together when we unify together and the marginalized voices are heard. We are all in this together. Maybe if hearing mourning expressed was the goal, January 6th maybe would have never happened. My friend's unexpressed grief and at a collective level will be expressed one way or another. And if mourning is being refused to be heard, it's going to be reflected in outrage and maybe even chaos and violence. When individuals and communities cannot grieve change or process loss openly, they are left susceptible to bitterness and outrage. And then as we see time and time again, power-hungry authoritarians can swoop in and promise comfort by politicizing grievances towards each other, which only lead to further pain and further mourning when those grievances are directed at other people. When What they really need is to learn how to lament well, to process our grief well. For only when we express our mourning are we able to receive comfort. When we don't acknowledge that we're grieving or mourning, we are denying it, and we are denying the ability to be comforted, even on a collective level. For me as a pastor, this idea has deeply challenged me and caused me to wonder, are we truly making a place, a culture, where people feel safe to express their grief and seek comfort together? I believe that if anyone should be the bringers of comfort for those who are mourning, it should be those who claim to follow Jesus. Amen? We should be heard with Jesus saying, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. They are blessed because they do not have to mourn alone. They are blessed because no matter what they are mourning, they will be listened to rather than shamed. Blessed are them because their grief matters to God and therefore it matters to us too. Blessed are they because we want to be a source of comfort for them. They are blessed because when they mourn, they will be comforted because we are going to be an active part of their comfort. My friends, this starts by understanding where the trajectory of a blessing comes from. The first time we see blessing in the Old Testament is after a wrestling match, (laughs) right? Jacob wrestles with God and receives a blessing, and he's still limping, right? (laughs) He's limping in the, the, the hip socket. And so when we think of blessing, it is God literally getting down into the dirt, getting God's hands dirty, to bring about that blessing, even if it means wrestling with us so that we understand. And you know what the name Israel means? One who wrestles with God. Still wrestling with God, right? And I'd like to add onto that with the greatest commandment, love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. I think the good name of the church would be one who wrestles with God and humanity. <laughs> because we're all trying to work this life out together, Right? And it's when we get down into the dirt, get our hands dirty to help one another, (laughs) wrestle through the hard stuff, that blessings come. But we can't do that if we're denying the hard things. We have to get in there with hearts of peace, compassion, to be sources of God's comfort, even if a little wrestling is called for so that blessing can come. Here's some action steps for us to think about this week as we think about what it means to be a blessing in the midst of mourning. What areas of grief are you finding it difficult to express? One of the things in my life is sometimes I don't even know I'm grieving something, right? I, I've gone through a change and because, you know, we're Americans. We are, you know, we're settlers and pioneers and cowboys and we can get over everything. Just pull yourself up by your bootstraps, right? That's a great mourning tactic. no. It's not get over it, right? It's face it head on. But one of the things that that mentality can bring about that I can just get over everything is that you just deny the grief that's even there. So maybe this week, focus on those areas that are bringing up, you can, it's easy to tell when you're grieving something and you're not sure. Anger will come up, impatience, maybe towards other people over that specific issue. you're just like, you know what? I'm not ready to talk about that, Why? Maybe that's an area of grief that you need to find adequate ways to express. Maybe it's a therapist. Maybe it's the person that that area is mourning that you need to write a letter to that you'll never send, right? Or it's journaling. Find adequate ways. Maybe it's listening to a particular song. Find ways to express that grief and get it out of your system and then allow yourself to receive comfort over that. Do you know you have permission to be comforted? It's not just something you're doing for other people. You have permission to be comforted. So find those points of grief and allow yourself to be comforted. Next is to seek to be a comfort for others. Just like you can notice if those areas of hostility or impatience or or anger come up around a certain topic with somebody that you really care about, maybe that's a point of grief for them. And so you don't have to impose anything. You don't have to make it awkward or anything. Just say, hey, you know what? I've noticed that things get tense whenever this is brought up. I just want you to know if you need to process something, if that's an area of sadness for you, I really want to listen. I cannot tell you how that invitation really does work. Because people don't feel the permission to express their sorrow. When you give them that permission, you become an immediate source of comfort for them, right? But make sure your cup is filled. (laughs) so that you can pour that out to others. And lastly, listen for correct, collective grief. One of the things that I've just felt so much freedom about in this beatitude, you don't have to agree, agree over what they're mourning. Hear me again. Bringing comfort to someone who's mourning, it leaves agreement at the door <laughs> because you're wanting to be a comfort, Right? You're not coming in to say, I agree with all of the political grievances that you have right now. You see a human being that's hurting, right? And so when you see someone on a collective level, move past all, because you can disagree with it, that's fine, now set that aside and say, what's at the heart of why they're grieving, right? When they are expressing this in such a hostile way, what's at the heart of what's possibly making them really sad about what's going on? And I guarantee you, you will find a reason. And that changes your conversation with individuals who are expressing that same collective outrage, right? That's super, super vital. So instead of looking at disagreements, focus on where the grief is. And that will change your conversation with collective issues.
0: Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to, we'd very much appreciate it if you would subscribe to this podcast as well as rate and review it. Also, if you'd like to connect with us, you can email us at amity.campus at boisefumc.org. That email will be in the show notes. Finally, as a smaller congregation, our budget is pretty tight. If you'd like to help out and donate to us, there is a link to do so in the show notes. Of course, no pressure, only if you're feeling called to give. But more income does mean possibly more content and better quality of content, as well as supporting our current ministries and those we'd like to expand on. Thank you. I hope you have a wonderful rest of the day.